Hey everybody, here on the Packaday Podcast, we're all about look good, play good, and that's why I'm super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Oakley is changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, work out, or just want to look like Aaron Jones? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Last season, I saw Aaron Jones wearing his signature Oakley sunglasses and I knew I had to have a pair. My Oakleys fit me perfectly and I've loved Oakley's style since I was a kid. There's just that extra boost of confidence I get when I'm wearing them and that's why I wear them every single day. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses that allow for an expression of your own unique personality, there's more than meets the eye. With summer just around the corner, you're going to want to upgrade your sunglasses game right now. Check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the frog skins. Did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do, so head over to oakley.com and uh, do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses brands in my life, and I can assure you, Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head over to oakley.com for more information today. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at AndyHermanNFL. Yesterday, we went over my top five most underrated Green Bay Packers. If you haven't checked that episode out yet, please make sure to do so today. We're going to be going over the top five most overrated Green Bay Packers, which I'll be fully transparent, was a bear to do. There is very few players on this team that I would argue are extremely overrated in any capacity at the moment. This is a very young team, a lot of first and second year players. So it's a lot of the veterans that we'd have to be ranking here. So I'll go over those in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to quickly discuss the Delvin Cook situation in Minnesota. Now, as I'm recording this, it hasn't been finalized as of yet. There's been no trade or release. Minnesota, basically, if they cannot find a trade for him, has announced or it's been reported, I guess, that they will ultimately release him. So to me, this is a very interesting conversation because and this will probably be one of the, the first of many controversial takes for me today. Uh, the first is I, I, I kind of want Delvin in Minnesota, and that might seem like, wait, what? You want you want to see Delvin Cook to stay in Minnesota? I like this Minnesota team exactly where they are, and where they are, and I've been saying this for the last couple seasons, and I know Viking fans don't like it, which I love even more, but they're in no man's land. They can't win it all, and they're not bad enough to get really good draft picks. They're in that, you know what, last year they won the division and that was great for them. And guess what? They lost in what, the first round of the playoffs, if memory serves correctly. So that that's their spot. Their high side is losing in the first, maybe the second round of the playoffs. The downside is probably seven and 10, eight and nine, somewhere in there. They've got some really good players like Justin Jefferson, Christian Derrissaw, like they're hit, you know, Kirk Cousins is still there who last year played very good football for them. But there's just no path to an actual Super Bowl for that roster. So the more they kind of keep that team together, the more I'm like, all right, you guys, you guys just stay in that sweet spot. Enough to be annoying during the course of the regular season, but never good enough to be a Super Bowl contender. That's not a bad spot for them to be in. Now, that being said, 
Dalvin Cook is gone. Zadarius Smith is gone. They've done some retooling and reshaping of their roster. Eric Kendricks is gone. This is a team that, to me, is going to take a semi-significant step back, and maybe even more than that. We know last year that they were a team that probably wasn't as good as their record showed. Their DVOA wasn't great. We know that you know they won a lot of one-score games, a lot of extremely close games, some games they shouldn't have won. And that's probably not only going to catch up with them in general, but now without some of these key players, it's probably going to hurt them even more. So uh, this, this is still a team that could win the division. I don't think there's any question about that. I have said all along, Minnesota, Detroit, Chicago, Green Bay, if you rank them anywhere, one through four, on any of those teams, nothing would shock me this upcoming season. Bears one, Bears four, sure. Lions one, Lions four, sure. Vikings, Packers, same thing. Anything in between, nothing would shock me this upcoming season. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how the North plays out. But without Delvin Cook, the th- you know things just got a lot harder for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think this is a very interesting year for Minnesota and maybe ultimately the year that they go from, hey, we're going to get rid of a, fu- you know, a couple of our players, a few of our players to, all right, they need a massive rebuild and maybe they need to move on from Kirk Cousins and things like that. I think this could be a little bit of a comeback to reality for the Minnesota Vikings. All right, so let's move and transition to what is arguably my least favorite episode of the year. But if I'm going to do my top five most underrated Packers, it's only fair that I do my top five most overrated Green Bay Packers. And as I mentioned, this was extremely hard to do. I don't think that there's very many Packers that are extremely overrated in any capacity. So this was a little bit nitpicky. And as I mentioned, you guys are not going to like me on this one. I'll tell you it ahead of time, but I have some reasons and I hope that you hear me out and listen to why I'm going over some of these players. It's not that I don't like any of them. In fact, I like every single Packer that I'm going to discuss today. But one of the big things that we talked about a season ago, if you remember the season, it wasn't necessarily that they were a bad football team. I thought there were certainly some mistakes that were made. Rodgers was a little bit beat up at times, but One of the big things that I harped on through the course of the season was that their stars needed to play like stars. Aaron Rodgers did not play like a star a season ago. Kenny Clark did not play like a star a season ago. Devondre Campbell did not play like a first-team All-Pro. Eric Stokes and Razul Douglas, we can argue the star terminology there, but they didn't. Adrian Amos didn't come close to playing like a star a season ago. Aaron Jones, I didn't think, played quite up to the level that we've seen him play at in the past. Elton Jenkins did not. You know, David Bakhtiari was still a little bit banged up you could tell. Their stars needed to play like stars and they did not through the vast majority of last season. So we're going to see some stars on this list. Do I think they're bad football players? No, not at all. And we'll get to that more in just a moment. But a huge piece of why some of these players are on this list is because they didn't necessarily play up to the expectations, the high expectations that they had set for themselves a season ago. And a huge piece of this list is, you know, the, the, the reason why some of the players are on this list is because my expectations for these five, you know, people are extremely, extremely high. And that's why I want to see a little bit more. So without further ado, I will start with number one on my list. And it was a player that was also on my list a season ago. And that's Elton Jenkins. And guess what? People didn't like when he was on my list last year. And I guarantee you people are probably not going to like when he's on my list this year either. Elton is a very good guard. 
There is no question about it. He's a very good offensive lineman. There is no question about it. All 32 teams would like to have Elton Jenkins on their roster. The Packers are extremely lucky to have Elton Jenkins on their roster. The contract is fantastic. He's got positional versatility. You can play him almost wherever you want to on the offensive line. Everything is peachy in those regards. However, let's go over a couple of the other things. Last year for me, I had him graded as a negative 0.45. So zero is even, 60 is even for PFF. I had him at a negative 0.45. PFF had him at a 72.3. So I had him as a slightly below average player. PFF had him as a above average player. Now, to be fair, once he settled back into left guard and he had one game at left guard where he struggled a little bit, still coming back from his ACL injury after struggling mightily at right tackle, one game at left guard struggled. Then he took a week off and didn't play that week. And then he came back at left guard and for the rest of the season played plus 4.75 football, which would equate to plus 9.0 over 17 weeks, which would have been extremely my highest graded player from a season ago, which was Aaron Jones at plus 5.25. Again, if you extrapolate those numbers over the course of a 17-game season, just what he did after settling back into left guard, he would have been my highest graded player season ago. So yes, he graded in the negative, but once he got back to left guard, things were good once again. His PFF grades throughout the course of his career, 69.1, good, 66.9, above average, 82.1, really good, 72.3, good. All right, so those are good numbers. My grades for him, plus 3.8, good, plus 8.95, really good, plus 2.65 in the injury year, fine, negative 0.45, slightly below average. And those are good grades. They are good grades all day, every day, both for pro football focus and myself. And I'll say it once again, every team would love a offensive lineman with those grades. But if we're talking Pro Bowl, all pro caliber players, we're talking in the 80 to 85 range or above, maybe even 90s for PFF. You're talking about a plus 10.0 player or higher for my grades if you want to be in that Pro Bowl slash, you know, slash all pro type conversation. So while I think he is a good player and while I think he's graded out well throughout the course of his career, I think there's a lot of people that just have this idea of Elton's one of the best offensive linemen in football. He's an all pro. He is clearly one of the top pro bowl caliber offensive linemen. And he just hasn't been that quite yet. And I would put him in the realm of really, really good, really, really good. But I think when you are searching for great players and Green Bay needing more great players, more star players on their team, I think this is a player that has that capability, but hasn't reached the great status quite yet. In his second season, I was pretty close to putting him there, but over the course of a four-year career, partially due to a three, you know, injury in year three and coming back from an ACL in year four, that clearly plays a large role in this. But if you look at a four-year career so far for Elton Jenkins, I would argue that it is really, really good, but not quite yet great. And again, Pro Bowl, all pro players are ultimately great. Again, I love the contract, love the player, but I just don't quite put him in that upper, upper echelon of player yet of players yet. The other thing here is that he has that positional versatility, right? But last year at right tackle, he was bad, bad. And I mean, really bad, like to the point of me wondering, even if they moved him back to guard was like, this was something just broken with Elton Jenkins. And it was that he was playing a little bit back out of position, but also just coming back from the torn ACL. As mentioned, once he got back to left guard, he was really good at once again, and everything that we've seen him and expected him to be. But there is the question now of, 
you know, can he play right tackle? And maybe it just was the ACL and maybe just the combination of going to the right side, playing tackle and coming off the ACL all at once was what ultimately doomed him at that position last year. But it was so bad that I would be very hesitant to ever put him back there again. And if we start limiting some of the versatility of Jenkins, that also limits some of like the just high-end, extreme, insane, you know, player that he is because you can just plug him at any five position and be totally good wherever you want to put him. So if one of those positions is off the board now, that does limit that upside just a little bit as well. That being said, keep him at left guard. Like you don't need to move him around and he can be a very, very good left guard at minimum. And it would not surprise me if this season we saw him get to that great level. I think had he had a full season, like we saw in the second half of last year, we would be talking about this a little bit differently. And I think if he can carry over the second half of of last year and play like that for the entirety of this year, we're going to be talking about him at a level that we haven't quite seen him play at so far. So I think there's a lot of really positive things here for Elton. And I think the ACL injury really set him back as expected, but I still think there's a level that he can get to, to reach greatness that we haven't seen quite yet. And I'm very bullish that this can be the year that he does so. But as of yet, we have not seen that. And that's the only reason I think he's slightly overrated at this point is because I think a lot of people just have him in that all pro great category. And I'm just not quite there yet. Really, really good. Not quite great. This is the year. I hope we see him be great. Number two on my list is Kenny Clark, another player that I beyond love. Kenny Clark is one of my favorite players that I've ever watched uh, on tape for the Packers. Just love breaking him down. But last year, PFF had him as their 45th, 45th interior defensive lineman. And I don't think that that is a hot take by them, by the way. I think that's right around the level that he played at a season ago. PFF's grades for Kenny Clark over his career, 74.8. 87.3, 90.2, like everything's going great. 79.5, bit of a step back, but then 76.1, 75.4, and then 66.4 a season ago. My grades for Kenny Clark, plus 10.95, plus 13.1, plus 11.7, plus 9.8, plus 11.7, plus 4.25. So through the entirety of his career before last year, he was just a guaranteed 10.0 player or better. Like that's just what it was. And last year, he didn't hit half of that for me. And that was the first year that he, we can argue that he looked sort of human. He had been so good for so long that it was a little bit surprising and shocking to see him play at a level that we haven't seen him play at before. And I think what we saw with Kenny Clark last year was a good defensive tackle that helps you win football games. But if we're being honest, just about every single team in the NFL has a player like that along the interior of the defensive line. A good run-stopping defensive tackle and give you a little bit as a pass rusher and isn't going to be a complete game changer for you. That's what we kind of saw to Kenny Clark a year ago. And like I said, just about every team has a player like that. That's why he ranked in the 40s for PFF. Now, it could have just been a one-year anomaly last year for Kenny, and we could see him bounce back this year and be better than ever. That's well within the realm of possibility. But we also have to remember that while he is still young, he has played a lot of snaps. There's been a lot of seasons where he's played on the high, high, high end of percentage of snaps for defensive tackle. So you wonder if some of those snaps are starting to catch up with him a little bit. 
And I think even if we look at Kenny like being a really good player, he's not necessarily the type of player that is going to set you apart. He's not the type of game-breaking, you know, type of defensive tackle like a Chris Jones or an Aaron Donald or someone like that. And those are extreme examples, but we even saw the Leonard Williams of the world, the Dexter Lawrences, and those type of players like really be game-changing defensive linemen. And we didn't see that from Kenny Clark last year. And even in his best of his best, he is a run-stopping extraordinaire, but isn't a fast twitch. I'm going to get right up and penetrate and break and make, you know, break down your offensive line and make a ton of plays, guys. He's going to reset the line of scrimmage. He's going to, you know, bull rush offensive linemen back into your quarterback at times, but it's still a little bit more of a slow burn. And this is again coming from somebody who beyond loves watching the game that Kenny Clark puts on tape every Sunday. No questions about it. But I do think there have been a lot of snaps that he has played. I do think there is a chance that peak, peak Kenny Clark might be a little bit behind us. And again, why I would say maybe it's slightly overrated is because a lot of people immediately put him in that upper echelon of pro bowl slash all pro caliber players. And the truth is that in his career, he has zero all pros and two pro bowls. And that is just about fitting for the player that Kenny Clark has been. So one of my favorite players, key piece to the defense has shown some signs of maybe not quite being the same player anymore. I hope that he really bounces back this season. I think he still has a lot to give to this team. But if we're talking about a all-pro slash, you know, slash high-end Pro Bowl caliber player, we just haven't seen that out of Kenny as of late. And there's just a really good chance that maybe we don't see him quite at that level again like we did maybe second, third year of his career. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. Here on the Packaday Podcast, we're all about look good, play good, and that's why I'm super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Oakley is changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, work out, or just want to look like Aaron Jones? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Last season, I saw Aaron Jones wearing his signature Oakley sunglasses, and I knew I had to have a pair. My Oakleys fit me perfectly, and I've loved Oakley style since I was a kid. There's just that extra boost of confidence I get when I'm wearing them, and that's why I wear them every single day. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses that allow for an expression of your own unique personality, there's more than meets the eye. With summer just around the corner, you're going to want to upgrade your sunglasses game right now. Check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the frog skins. Did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do, so head over to oakley.com and uh, do your own research. 
And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses brands in my life, and I can assure you, Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head over to oakley.com for more information today. Number three on my list is probably the biggest reach of these, but that's Jair Alexander. Now, Jair was still the eighth best corner by PFF a season ago. And if you take out a couple corners that were on that list with only about 400-ish snaps, you get to sixth best corner in the NFL a season ago. His grades by PFF were 72.4, 71.9, 90.7, 73.4 in his injured season, and then 80.3 a season ago. My grades for him, 7.0, 8.95, 13.55 in that same 90.7 season by PFF, 2.9 in his injured season, and then plus 0.8 a season ago. So I had him a little bit lower on my grade than PFF had him last year. Now, clearly one of the best cover corners in the NFL, no debate about it. I'm not even going to try to debate that in any way. And it is very clear that Green Bay did not always use him to the best of his capabilities a season ago either. A lot of off-man coverage or off-zone coverage, I should say, not the you know press man that he loves to play, sort of kind of tied his hands behind his back at times and didn't let him be the corner that Jair wanted to be. And I think that clearly affected him. There was issues with you know, um, Jerry Gray and Joe Barry and being on the same page and this defensive backs and the defense and being on the same page. Everything was just a bit disjointed in that defensive backfield. But part of that was Jair Alexander as well. We also saw a lot of miscommunications in the defense and it was everyone. It was Razul. It was Jair. It was Amos. It was Savage. It was Stokes. It was everyone. And that's unacceptable for a group of veteran defensive backs. But again, Jair was a piece of that. Now, Again, clearly one of the best cover corners. Run defense, however, was hit and miss sort of literally. There were times where he was not as active, not as aggressive. You could tell coming back from that separated shoulder uh, or the shoulder injury from you know two seasons ago that he just wasn't the same physical, intense flying around corner at the beginning of last year. Now, I will say towards the end of last year, we started seeing that Jair Alexander again. And with all of that being said, he allowed a passer rating of 66.2 a season ago, had five interceptions, is still clearly a top 10, if not a top five corner in the NFL. He was a second team all pro. I didn't quite see that a season ago. I saw a really good player. I didn't quite see that second team all pro. And part of this is just my extreme high-end expectations for Jair Alexander. I think he can be the corner in the NFL. Number one, the best, period. And last year I saw a really good corner. And at times, great. And especially in the second half of the season, I think we saw closer to great. But I just was wanting a little bit more. I want a little bit more of that intensity. I want a little bit more. I want a little bit more press man coverage out of him, if I'm being honest. That's not on him. That's on the defense. But I think part of it was just defense, play calling, etc. But I thought Jair had a little bit more to give. Didn't quite see that same level that we saw in 2020 from Jair. 2020 Jair was special. Last year was just maybe even great. I would even say maybe last year was great. I want to see him be special again. So a little bit of a reach here, if even I'm being honest, of putting Jair on this list. But as I mentioned, really hard to pick out five guys that I thought were overrated. Jair in the ever so slightest amount, just because I think people are on the just like set it and forget it. He's an automatic all pro and I'm just not quite there with that. I think he's really good, even great, uh, but I want to see him be special again like he was in 2020. All right, number four on my list is Quay Walker. 
And my reasoning for putting Quay on this list is because I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people comment and say like, you know, Quay's going to take this, you know, he's going to be so good in his second season and he was already good a season ago. He's clearly a, a, you know, really good starting linebacker already. And we need to pump the brakes on that quite a bit. Quay Walker was ranked 70th out of 81 eligible inside linebackers by PFF a season ago. His 34.9 run defense rating was the sixth worst of any eligible inside linebacker by PFF. His negative 3.4 grade for me was the fourth worst of any player on the Packers defense. Only Stokes, Amos, and Savage were worse for me a season ago. I only graded him in the positive in five out of 17 games from a season ago. He was slow to diagnose plays. He really, really struggled to get off of blocks. He missed 13 tackles, gave up a passer rating of 93.0 per PFF. He got kicked out of two games. There were a lot of miscommunications in coverage and a lot of missed assignments. Those are all legitimate things that happened a season ago, period. Now, he was a rookie inside linebacker. It is a very tough position to play as a rookie. There is a lot on your plate and everything is attacking the middle of the field. You've got to diagnose play action. You've got to diagnose run or pass. You've got to figure out, you know, who's coming on crossers, who's behind you, who's in front of you, who's like, there is a lot going on in the middle of the field for a rookie inside linebacker. It is a very tough position to play a ton of snaps on as a rookie. And then to, you know, expound upon that even more, he then had to call the plays when Devondre Campbell went out for a period of time, which made things even harder for him. The talent is clearly there. And, you know, I do want to see him play a little bit more of a instinctual level of football. To me, the biggest lesson that I've learned with scouting linebackers over the year is that inside linebacker is an instincts position. You can be fast, tall, athletic, all of that for days. And if you don't have the instincts, it is going to be very difficult for you to succeed in the NFL. And last year, what I saw was a massively talented inside linebacker that lacked the instincts. And some of that can come with time. Some of that is learned, but I need to see a more instinctual Quay Walker in year two before I'm ready to buy into him as a legitimate good starting inside linebacker in the NFL. Now, he had two sacks, three forced fumbles, five pass breakups. We saw some of those flash plays. And when he was drafted and he was in rookie mini camps and OTAs, it was abundantly clear right away why Green Bay was bullish on him and wanted to take him in the first round. He's a pure athletic specimen, and I'm really excited still about his upside, but I need to see a little bit more instinctual play, a little bit more fast play from Quay Walker, because if you run a 4-4-40, but you don't have that ability to diagnose plays, it's like you're a 4-8 guy. And that's where I need to see him just play a little bit faster and diagnose things a little bit faster. I do think he has a lot of work to do in year two. The talent is clearly there, but I'm hoping to see a real big jump from Quay in his second season. And number five on my list, you guys are going to hate me the most for this one, I think. Number five on my list is not a player, but it is Rich Passaccia. Now, all right. Rich Passaccia last year and this Packers special teams per Rick Gosselin, who's like the special teams god of grading special teams, had him had the Packers as the 22nd graded special teams in the NFL, which is you know basically in the, it, which is in the bottom third of special teams still. PFF had the Packers special teams ranked rank as 26th overall, which is one of the worst special teams in the league. So. 
22nd, 26th, wherever you want to put them, this was still a bottom third special teams from a season ago. This is also a special teams coach that had Amari Rogers returning over Keyshawn Nixon to start the season, both as a kick returner and as a punt returner. Didn't move to Keyshawn Nixon until later in the year. This is a special teams that still allowed four blocked kicks a season ago. Worst in the NFL for any team. All right. The argument could be made that had it not been for Keyshawn Nixon coming on the scene, that this would have still been a bottom two or three, maybe bottom two, maybe bottom one special teams a season ago, had it not been for Keyshawn Nixon. Now, to be fair to Rich, the reason Keyshawn was on the team was because of Rich Bisaccia, who wanted that player on the team. And to be abundantly clear, Rome is not built in a day. And this was a generationally bad special teams for an extremely long period of time. So to actually go from 32nd and arguably one of the worst special teams I've ever seen in my lifetime to 22nd is a legitimate jump. Even if they went to 26th, it was a legitimate jump. And it does take time to go from something that was so broken to something that at least is working in some capacity, which it was more than doing so with Keyshawn Nixon returning kicks and punts you know, to the house at, you know, at will, it seemed at times. So there were some real positives from a season ago that were, we were able to take away, but there were still some negatives, including those block kicks and block punts that need to get cleaned up. And while I think he deserves credit for the jump, this was still a, you know, bottom tier special teams unit, a bottom third, if you will, special teams unit. And if you look back at Rich Basashi's career, he's usually been a middle of the road special teams, regardless of where he's been, usually in that, you know, 16th-ish range. So I think a lot of people are just of the mind that Rich Basashi is going to lead this team to a top 10, top five special teams group. Maybe he does. And certainly Keisha Nixon being the returner for all of the season will help with that as well. They got a new kicker. I'm not a huge fan of Pat O'Donnell uh, as a punter. I think he's fine. Um, you know, I think they've got some things that they still need to work out on special teams as a whole. So he deserves credit for the jump. But if we're just expecting that he's just going to be a top 10 special teams this year, that remains to be seen. And I think job not done for Rich Passaccia quite yet. So regardless of where he ranked his special teams, great jump from a season ago. And what I think he's brought to this culture of the Green Bay team has been huge in the culture and the special teams you know, locker room, I think has been huge. So a lot of positives from Rich a season ago, but I don't think it's quite as rainbows and butterflies as I think a lot of people would have you believe. I think there's still a lot of work to be done if this wants to be a top half of the league special teams unit, which has been a long time since they've even been in that conversation. So Listen, to wrap things up, I love Jenkins. I love Jair. I love Kenny. Rich Passaccia has done a really great job with what he's been given and taking over a generationally bad special teams. He's been mostly as advertised. We've seen a huge improvement in year one. Quay has all the potential in the world. I have high expectations for all five of these individuals and hope they play through the roof this season. And it'll look laughable that any of these five on my list prior to the season. That's the hope. But I think if I were to say on the roster as a whole, where it's really tough to pick out, you know, younger, this is a very young team, it's very difficult to pick out players that are quote unquote overrated. This is probably the closest that I could come to putting together a list of five. And I think all of these are slightly, slightly overrated individuals and in very minor terms. All five are very important to the Packers, Quay being the, the biggest question mark of the five. And I'm, all, I'm very excited to see what all five are able to accomplish in 2023 in any capacity. 
That's going to do it for me today. Don't unfollow. I promise there's a lot more positive uh, episodes. This is your first episode listening to Pack a Day. First of all, thank you for making it this far. Uh, but just know that this is not my usual brand of uh, episode. Usually it's uh, much more positive. And even here, I tried to uh, water it down as much as I could. But I do think there's some work for these five individuals to do. And I hope they're uh, able to do that in 2023. I'll see you guys tomorrow right back here. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.